First Men's Podcast. Uh, this week's study will be in Revelation chapter 13, and the title is uh, Let Them Be Wise. Uh, one of the interesting parts about this chapter is that it holds one of the most debated verses in end times interpretation, uh, the mark of the beast. Uh, now as men, we, we love to argue. And we love to argue our positions and things that we believe in. And we even argue for our favorite sports teams and occasionally even side against our friends just to spark up a healthy competition. And and we do so in a way that maybe we don't even take that side because we really believe in it, but we just want to prove the other person wrong. And, and so I've done this myself at times. And, uh, you know, with that said, I just... Uh, I, I don't doubt that we've all encountered and had a conversation about the Mark of the Beast before. It's actually a really popular uh, topic within end times, like I said. Um, and, and as we're looking to the unraveling of God's plan in the last days, and, and I hope that this would serve you. And if you're in a small group, that this would serve your small group in a way that it would be fruitful and it would sharpen uh, the way that you interpret scripture. And as you uh, learn to agree and disagree. Uh, generally, people have said that the mark of the beast will be some type of code or chip that uh, that are put into our bodies. And honestly, uh, when I think about the technology today, uh, it's not too far fetched from that truth. Um, likewise, I've I've heard other things like we we know that uh, there could be a physically mark or a visible tattoo or branding that is taken on the body that communicates our loyalty to like a one world order. Likewise, we, we've even heard that the mark of the beast will be a visible tattoo or branding uh, that communicates our loyalty, and it'll actually even serve as a requirement for trade uh, as we try to do life in this world. I don't know if you've seen uh, the YouTube videos of individuals that come up with uh, conspiracies about these things, but there was this one lady, and she swore that the energy drink company was bearing the mark of the beast on their logo, and uh, she was even insinuating that the the person or the people who would buy these drinks uh, were actually giving to the beast and possibly funding Satan himself. Others conclude that the mark is not even visible. And rather, it's more of the way that you conduct and live your life, and, and that that's the way that you're identified and what you worship. Most recently, uh, due to COVID-19, a certain group of Christians have questioned if the vaccine is possibly the mark of the beast, and it's actually led them to uh, be hesitant in getting vaccinated as if, you know, the health market has some hidden agenda. And, and, and I say these things, uh, these examples, uh, because I, I just want to show you how popular the topic is in the Christian realm. And regardless of where you find yourself in this debate or even how confident you are concerning the mark of the beast, uh, what I want to do with our time is that we would allow scripture to speak for itself and that in doing so, that we would clear up any misconceptions about what the mark is and isn't. Now, regardless of where you find yourself in this debate and how confident you are concerning the, the mark of the beast, uh, what, what we want to do is we want scripture to speak for itself. And, and I hope that in doing so, that we will clear up any misconceptions that we have about understanding the message behind the mark. Uh, because guess what? We live in a dark world today, and we need to learn how to interpret scripture rightly as we live wisely. Now, following the scriptures uh, is going to help us to live wisely before God, not giving into the deceptions of the devil, but remaining faithful as we await the Lord's return. We must then heed the words of Jesus as he spoke to his disciples concerning the last days. And this is what he said. He said this in Mark 13, 22 and 23, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders, leading astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. 
Now, having this in mind, let us first do a flyover of our passage to grab the context of which the Mark of the Beast is written in and really understand what it is and what it isn't. To start with, what we see from John's vision is that it's divided into two parts, and it's divided into two parts by two beasts. One emerges from the sea and the other from the earth. These two beasts are implored by the dragon, Satan, and he has come to wage war against God and his people. It is said that Satan and his two beasts actually make up the unholy trinity, Satan being the anti-father and the first beast being the anti-son and the second beast being the anti-spirit. The first half of the chapter reveals Satan summoning the first beast, giving him power and authority and a throne on earth. Some have said that this could be a representation of all the tyrants in the past. For example, Hitler and other historical figures. Others may not look at specific individuals, but maybe concluded that it was a spirit of Antichrist and the character of the Antichrist in the world rising to political power. What we do know about the beast is that it will try to deceive the world by imitating God. He will do this by performing miracles and surviving a fatal wound. And because of this uh, miraculous type of resurrection, he will be enthroned as a king of the earth. In this deception, the world will look to him as God and he will gain their attention and affection. After this, the beast will utter blasphemous words against God and wage war on God's people. We, we even read of the pseudo-Christ murdering the saints who resist to bow down to him in cold blood, showing us a parallel to the book of Daniel and his three friends. Now, coming to verse 9 and 10, God gives his people a call to endure through such hardship and suffering. And it says this, If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, this serves as a brutal, honest invitation for us as believers to stay alert and to be spiritually discerning. This is not just for the generation that will face the tribulation period. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. Uh, this, this is most definitely for the generation of the church that will face the tribulation period. And it's not so much for us who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. But I want to say that it does serve us in this way, that we must understand that the mystery of the lawless one is still at work today. Now, moving forward... The second half of the chapter reveals that the first beast will not be alone for long, for he will be accompanied by the second beast who emerges from the earth and acts as accomplice for him. The second beast is, is described as a false prophet or witness. Now, it's interesting to know this, that the first beast that we saw comes in deception and power and authority as a substitute for Christ. And the second now comes in deception of lies as a false Elijah bringing fire down from heaven. Both beasts working together will demand control of political powers and the religious institutions of the world, and many will fall to their trickery. Now, verse 11 shows us that the second beast will look like a gracious lamb with two horns, and he will speak deceits originating from the devil, who is the father of lies. It could be said that the second beast is very much so a wolf in sheep's clothing, who comes to twist the truths of the gospel in a way that the world will believe it and reject the true teachings of Jesus. If that is not enough, the image of the first beast will be er erected, and although we know idols are deaf and lame, this one 
is actually uh, given breath to persuade the world in believing in the first beast to be the true God. His words will preach a message to eliminate those who do not accept him and his propaganda and resist to worship his image. Now, following this idolatrous act, we read at the end of the chapter that the beast requires a mark to be given on the right hand and on the forehead of everyone, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now, the word translated here from the Greek actually means a seal pressed onto a government document. This mark or seal is not unusual to the first century church. We know that during the time of the Apostle John, it was common for the Roman soldier to take a mark or tattoo upon their hand as a sign of allegiance to the emperor. We also know that slaves during the first century were marked on their foreheads to signify their master. Yet this is not the only place that we hear about the seal given on the hands or the foreheads of a people group. For in Revelation 7-3, God seals his servants on their foreheads as, as a sign and covenant of his promise to his chosen people. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 6-8, the word tells us that God's people uh, were to bind his word on their hands and above their eyes so that they would think and act biblically. In the same way, the beast imitates the things of God by calling those who worship him to take a mark and be influenced by his decree, that they would submit themselves to him and worship him alone. From these points, it is clear that Satan is still wanting to take the place of God and mimic the very things God does. Not only does he have the demonic trinity that we talked about, but he also has a demonic seal upon his own people. If God has a seal upon his people, the devil wants one also. John concludes with these words, This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, looking at these two texts here, uh, one in verse 10 and in verse 18, we see two calls of wisdom. We touched on the first one in the beginning, and like I said before, this was an invitation not just to the first century church or the last century church facing the tribulation, but it's also for this church as well. It is a call to have endurance and faith during the hour of persecution. This means that our loyalty to God, sealed by his covenant, must be the path and promise we continue to walk on and trust in. Therefore, we are reminded of how costly it is to follow Jesus in the days ahead. But let us re remain on guard knowing that we are God's and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The second call that we see is in verse 18. It is a call for wisdom and understanding and response to the mark of the beast. What we can be assured of is this, is that the mark is not taken by accident, it is not something done in ignorance, and although we don't know exactly what the mark is, we do know that it designates and signifies who the person belongs to. Just like the Roman soldier, just like the slave, and just like the child of God. Yes, there will be major deception, but everyone will know exactly why they are taking the mark upon themselves. For in doing so, they are allowed to continue to depend on the earth and live for the world, all the while devoting themselves to the worship 
of the beast. Now, the name of the beast in John's letter is given to us in a number, and most scholars accept this to be translated from a Hebraic numerical system, revealing it to be Nero Caesar. And that makes sense in John's time that he was looking to Nero as an antichrist. Uh, now, others have said that, that it symbolized incompleteness, contrasting with the number uh, seven, which symbolizes completion in the book of Revelation. Regardless of how you interpret the number, uh, what John seems to be saying is that Satan and his two beasts will come in power, but they will fall short of their desire to be like God. For Satan is lesser than God and his beasts are merely men, fallen and unable to succeed in their plans. Now, on another note, although we hold to a pre-tribulation rapture and believe that we will not be here during this time, the scriptures are still calling us to live wisely and discern what is going on in this present world. Therefore, we must not be so easily swayed to think that everything that looks Christian is in fact for Christ's kingdom. We need to walk wisely and know that the devil will fashion himself to appear like God and to try to take his place in this very world. This will happen even in today's world. People will claim to be Christian. They will even do ministry claiming it to be in God's name, yet they teach a false gospel, leading others astray from knowing God, the true God, and deceiving the world. Lastly, we must remember that the beast is not the victor in God's redemptive plan. Jesus Christ, the faithful and beloved Son, is. For Jesus is the true Lamb of God who is slain on the cross, atoning for our sins by his blood and rising from the grave in the power of God. Therefore, our hope is in him. Our eternity is placed in his hands and we know that he returns and when he returns, he will return in victory. Well, that concludes our podcast for today, and I hope that you guys will enjoy studying God's Word this week. Also, a reminder for you guys to sign up for the men's conference coming up in May. Grace and peace be with you.